Welcome to the first episode of Build and Tinker, a magic podcast where I build a deck. And I tinker. I'm Nick Garcia, been a magic player here for, for quite a while. Russ and I, say hi, Russ. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. Um, yeah, so Russ and I have been playing magic together for almost about, what, two years now, something like that. And we got to talking one day and we realized that I can't keep decks together longer than two months. And Russ can't build a deck in less than two months. <laughs> So we kind of decided to put our heads together and come up with this podcast, Build and Tinker. The plan is I build a deck and then Russ takes them and he tinkers with it. Before we get into everything that we're going to do on this podcast, let's give a bit about ourselves, Russ. What's your history with magic? So my history with magic is kind of old and scary. Um, My first deck was an alpha deck. Um, So I literally started playing magic when it came out. Um, I played for probably two years, did a lot of uh, tournaments back then, and started college and the small town that I moved to, nobody was playing Magic. So I sold all my Magic cards and bought a Jeep. (laughs) You got in when the getting was good. That's right. And um, so I picked back up playing Magic, uh, specifically Commander, with um, my local gaming group here. We were always playing miniatures and my friend Nick here and our other friend Pete um, were playing magic a lot and I got invited to come play commander one Tuesday night and here I am. (laughs) Here you are many, many dollars into the game again. Absolutely. And without all those alpha cards. That is also correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mine's pretty similar. I did not start in alpha. I started probably around uh, 98, 99. So Kind of remember what sets those were, uh, but I do remember it was right after Ice Age came out. So uh, the Snowlands were were a hot thing to get. Played for probably about four or five years all through high school. Tried doing it in college. Actually had the, the different problem you did. Went to Dallas where there's a lot of play groups, but couldn't find one that kind of fit me. Um, and, you know, being an introvert wasn't really easy to go just show up and ask people to play games. So ended up doing the same thing you did. Sold my collection, did not buy a Jeep, probably bought a console or something similar at the time. <laughs> actually just saw that the PS2 is 21 years old this week. Um, that's kind of crazy. But anyways, uh, I, I digress because that's probably what I spent the money on was buying a PS2. But uh, yeah, so been playing for quite a while. Uh, got back into it probably about five years ago with my son. He wanted to try to get into Magic. So what happened was we went to the local game shop. We played a few rounds of uh, Friday Night Magic, got some drafting in. I got into Commander simply because it's a little bit easier to buy into. Uh, he stopped playing and I kept playing. So thanks to him, I have tons and tons of cards now and several thousand dollars later because, you know, when you buy a box every time they come out, that's what happens. Absolutely. Well, yeah, so let's get started. Um, sure. So a couple of things to kind of baseline. When I build a deck, one of my goals I have is to use what I have on hand rather than go purchase a large number of cards. Uh, on average, this tends to put my decks around the 100 to $200 value. That really is just because I do have quite a few cards to pick from, so I can just go out and pick cards. I contrast this with some folks we know who can uh, probably net deck. They go out, they, they pick out a list of $400 cards and just buy them all online. What's your approach to building a deck? So one of my approach, my primary approach has been to buy pre-cons. Because as Nick said, I have about five piles of cards beside me that eventually will be decks sometime in the next two to three years. Um, so what I do is I buy pre-cons and I will play the pre-con, see what works, see what doesn't work. 
and then I start to make changes. I start to tinker with those decks to find ways to make them more effective and efficient. So it, it kind of, I really enjoy that aspect of taking the deck and finding things that work, finding accidental combos, um, finding things that just make it more efficient, more streamlined to, to I mean, what's the, what's the word everybody likes to use? Value. Trying to find the value in the cards, um, especially since my collection is kind of small. It is growing with every set. So I, I try to take those decks, make changes, find cards that aren't terribly expensive that can, that can work into that deck to just make it better. Our play group kind of, we sit at what, next six to seven kind of power level for our decks. So yeah, that, usually. That, so that helps keep our budget in check. Yeah, it really does. One of, the, one of the pieces that we like to do is a lot of folks do come with just pre-cons and they can actually win. I know you just had that luck this week twice with um, the Elf pre-con that just came out with Keldheim, able to pop it out of the out of the box and just play it and win. That's right. It goes really wide if you get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so speaking of Keldheim, that's kind of where we want to start off um, on episode one here, which is Toraf. So Toraf is a two red red, uh, so four mana legendary creature. Um, it's a god. It's trample whenever a Creature or Planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess non-combat damage. Torath deals damage equal to the excess of any target other than that permanent. Uh, he is a 5-4, not that that really matters. Um, he also is a modal dual face card. So on the other half, he has the Hammer, which is a legendary artifact. An equipped creature gets one in a red, tap, unattached Torath's Helmer. It deals three damage to any target and return Torath's Hammer to its owner's hand. Uh, equip creature also gets plus three and plus O as long as it's legendary and it has a one and a red equip cost. I don't think I've ever seen you play it for its equipment side. I have never used the equipment side. So it's, it's, it tore off that, that main text box is definitely where, where his value is at being able to convert, you know, one of, one of mono red's strongest abilities to deal damage, to take and convert that damage into excess, that excess damage into knocking your opponent's uh, life total out. So what got you interested in wanting to build a Torah deck uh, after you saw him? So what actually started it was arena. I made a mono red deck on arena and started playing it and I enjoyed it a lot. So I was like, well, I'm going to make a red commander deck. So I, of course, pulled up our good friends over at EDH Rec to see what the red commanders were. And I started going through the list and I was like, I just don't really see anything I enjoy, anything that's that's like really standing out as being something new or interesting. So I was looking and about that time, Kaldheim started having their the drops, the spoilers. And I saw Toroff and... So I was like, wow, this is really neat. It's a, an interesting concept, and it works well with this idea of doing lots of damage because that's what Red wants to do. So I was talking to Nick, and I said, Nick, how do I build this deck? Yeah, we, we talked, and we talked, and you pulled some cards aside, if I recall, and then I asked you how it was going. You said you're going to get it together. And I think you said it was a pile of, like you mentioned earlier, five Five different decks you're in the middle of building, and each one got a card added a week almost, um, is what it felt like. <laughs> so rather than let you wait, I decided to dig through my binders, and I pulled out, I want to say, 51 cards or so, uh, 50 cards. I said, hey, here's here's 50 cards. 
just add in some lands and a handful of other cards and let's play it. That's what you did. And it worked great right out the gate. Yeah. So what I did was I, I took the card and I I basically said, what is the most obvious win con, right? What is, what is the goal of this deck? And obviously the goal is to just continually clear the board and you ping down opponents. One of the downsides there is if there are no opponents, how do you win? And this is something I try to think through with all my deck building. And this is where obviously red has a lot of dragons and they synergize quite a bit. Dragons tend to do a lot of extra damage or even if they get blocked, they can do excess damage, which is what Toralf wants. So that was where I kind of decided, all right, let's get some obvious win cons in here. And then let's let's add in a bunch of really expensive dragons because you're in mono red. You can probably afford to pay six or seven for a dragon uh, later in the game, in addition to having some of these win cons in your hand. And at the very least, you'll have some dragons out, some board clears available to you. And if nothing else, you're just kind of wrecking havoc on the table, which is something red likes to do. So what Nick did is he gave me his his pile of cards and I took that and I added just a few I only I think I only added one creature to that initial build. I added um the Dockside Extortionist because we're trying to find ways to ramp this deck up with these expensive dragons. Yeah, ramp red and ramp are not synonymous with each other. It's very hard to to ramp in red and I think this is a great way to do it. There there's been a lot of help in the past few years to get red up to par, I'll say, but definitely having something like Dockside Extortionist, which again comes down to the that card is probably very well, it is not probably it is very expensive. So putting it in the first pass of a deck like this is not something I would have typically done, but since you had it on hand, I think it fit very nicely into the deck, and it definitely has gotten you a few uh, sets of treasures in the times <laughs> you played it. Absolutely, and it it. It, syn- it synergized really well for me on in two specific games, utilizing the Curse of Opulence, and the and because everyone was attacking and building up the gold artifacts on their boards. When I played the Dockside Extortionist, I was able to to get a lot of treasure off of an enchantment that I played. So it was a, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a neat way to work different parts of the deck together to ramp out these big these big dragons. Well, not just the dragons, but some of the win cons. So let's go through some of the cards, some of the key pieces that I kind of handed to you. There's the two obvious ones, Blasphemous Act and Star of Extinction. These are just big bombs, right? Blasphemous Act dealing 13 damage to each creature, Star of Extinction dealing 20 damage to each creature and Planeswalker on the board. So obviously anything more than three or four creatures, you can pretty much win the game with these cards. The next set I had is kind of a, a trio of cards. So in addition to those two big wins, right? But two cards out of a hundred, not always gonna get them in your hand. So where do we go from there? So Comet Storm, not a very expensive card running at, I don't know, probably been the 50 to 70 cents range right now, but it's a X red red. It has multi kicker and you choose any target. Then choose another target for each time the spell is kicked. It deals X damage to each of them. Starstorm and Jaya's Immolating Inferno, very similar to that in the sense that you can kind of just dump whatever mana you have into these massive spells that are going to deal damage to either specific targets or every creature. And that, again, once you get something like Doc's Head out, you have several treasures. You can just pump this up and, and it basically becomes a Blasphemous Act or a Star of Extinction. A couple more pieces here. Chain Reaction. So this is one that I decided to put in simply because it does damage equal to the number of creatures on the board. So it's two red, red for a sorcery, and it deals X damage to each creature where X is the number of creatures on the battlefield. So this 
actually makes the deck more powerful the more creatures are on board, which is what happens anyways. So it's an amazing kind of just synergy with the deck, and it's it's insane with token decks. I think you had this on the field at one point, or w- was about to have it when somebody had, what, 28 beasts on the table? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was a mono green player who had just played... She had a Rampaging Baloths out and then played Scapeshift, and it just went through the roof and this was chain reaction was sitting at the top as as my top deck and she decided that i was the player that needed to be removed so i didn't get the opportunity to play it out but it was it would have definitely been as no one was in blue there was no way for anyone to counter it yeah that's crazy that would have i mean just 28 creatures 28 damage to each creature that's an that's an insta win right there to kind of go with it though storm's wrath which is the same cost two and a red red it's a simple sorcery that just deals four damage to each creature and each planeswalker, right? So obviously not as strong, but four mana for four damage to each creature. And knowing that if there's anything less than three life on a creature, you're going to start pinging people or other creatures if there's something really big on the board. Right, and that's that's one of the things about Toroff that I think could easily be missed because player removal is the fastest way to win the game sometimes. But Say, for instance, there's something out there that's really dangerous and you're not able to remove that player rather than throw, you know, say 12 damage at at your three opponents. You could focus in on that one creature and and get it out of the board, get it off, you know, uh, as targeted removal as opposed to just doing damage to the board. Yeah, it's. It keeps control of the board, which is not something red, I'll say, is known for, right? It's not a blue where you just counter everything through control or black where you just kill stuff. You can control it very well with with this. And it, and folks don't see it coming. They won't see kind of some of these pieces. So those are kind of the, the generic cards that work with any scenario. But in addition to that, obviously, that's about six or seven win cons. Um, adding a few more is always a good thing. So one of the first ones I added there was Sudden Demise, which... I have in our notes here that this is really great for tokens. So it's X and a red for a sorcery. You choose a color. Sudden Demise deals X damage to each creature of the chosen color. In my mind, this is perfect for tokens. When somebody's pumping out just green elf after green elf after green elf, you can just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do five damage to every green creature. And you just nuke all the tokens off the board. Right. And it's it, it's it's amazing. You, you're protecting your, your board state. Um by being able to do this. And that's one of the downsides with Toroff is you have to be able to bring him back, keep him on the, on the board. You've got to be able to do something because all this excess, you know, when you're hitting the whole board, he's taking the damage. And if he's going back to the command zone, you're not getting to do this again. So it kind of works almost in a way like kindred dominance, but for way less mana, you're able to, to da- take out another color while protecting red. So, I mean, it's it's a great tool for this deck. Yeah, that's awesome. As we had mentioned earlier as well, adding dragons in isn't necessarily a win con, but it's one of those values you can get in there. I say value, dragons are very expensive. But what's neat with that is there are three other cards that I found that I had in my inventory that just pop in that synergize with dragons. So I'll go over them real quick and kind of want your thoughts on them. The first one is Disaster Radius. So this is five red red for sorcery. As additional cost, when you cast a spell, you reveal a creature card from your hand. Disaster Radius deals X damage to each creature your opponents control, where X is a revealed card's converted mana cost. Man, that's a mouthful. So essentially, 
hey, play this for seven. I'm going to reveal a six CMC dragon. Boom, six damage to only your opponent's creatures. That's with dragons in hand. That's going to be very good. When the dragons are on the board, though, these other two come into play, which is Earthquake, X in a red. Earthquake deals X damage to each creature without flying and and each player. So Disaster Radius has been in hand multiple times, and I have not had the opportunity to play it, um, but I have both times. I One time I had... Um, the Utfara Hellkite in my hand. And then the other time I had Dracuseth. So we're, you know, that's eight CMC and seven CMC. Both times I was waiting, waiting for my turn to come back. And both times uh, someone took me out before it got back around <laughs> to me. Um, most recently, I, I believe was getting milled to death last night. So, Oh man. So it's, it's definitely like, there's just, there's just so many, neat interactions in this deck that you know it's amazing that you pulled this together in you know roughly what an hour hour and a half yeah exactly it was just find what i have and this is where you know kind of the build and tinker as we're talking through the build part of the deck how how do we get the initial cards in all the stuff you're talking about i think is going to be excellent for the next episode where we talk about tinkering this deck so now that you've had time with it what are those cards right is disaster radius Knowing that you've had it in your hand twice, you never played it, right? Is that something you want to keep in the deck? Are these large dragons worth keeping in the deck? Those are all things I think we want to get to next episode. A little bit of a teaser for everybody, you know, and anybody's listening. You know, if anybody does, we'll see. But, you know, um, that's kind of the idea of this is, is let's get this, just get the deck on the table and start playing with it and then spend the time tinkering it. And that tinkering could take years. It could be like, Hey, I tried it three times and it doesn't work. And we'll kind of see how this goes over time. I think it'll be fun. Absolutely. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So a couple more cards to talk about. So we talked about the win cons. We kind of focused on those. Obviously there's a handful of support cards that come with this. Uh, we talked about dragons, so I'm not going to read all of these, but I just want to kind of lay out a few of them because these are very powerful dragons and you can, uh, pick and choose a few if you want to talk about Russ. But the ones that I had on hand, again, these aren't cheap, but I, I just kind of have in my binder here. Balefire Dragon, Terror of the Peaks, Hellkite Charger, Ryusi the Falling Star, Scourge of Valkos, and Tyrant's Familiar. I just happen to have these mono red dragons in my binder and in my um, inventory here. So I figured, you know what? These all do something very similar. We're trying to deal damage. Plus, they're expensive CMC, and they are threatening bodies once they're on the board. Absolutely. Balefire Dragon has been a real winner in this deck. Sarkhan's Unsealing. Yeah. Oh, yes. So Sarkhan's Unsealing was one of the enchantments that you added, and it makes these big dragons even more of a value. So it's a 4-5-6. It does 4 damage to a creature. And then if it's a 7 or greater deals 4 damage to each opponent and each creature and Planeswalker they control. So then your dragons are coming in and they're essentially mini board wipes when they're hitting. Um, Balefire is a 6-6. Six, six, and one of the things that, that synergizes so well with Balefire Dragon and Toroff is when he deals combat damage to a player, he deals that much damage not to a creature, but each creature that player controls. So Balefire Dragon's synergy with Toroff is, is incredible. It's such a good value for the deck. Even though we're talking about a 7 CMC Dragon, it functions really well. And the cost, you just, I mean, I really haven't noticed the cost being, being that high when you're able to get that much out of it. Another dragon that you added that I've gotten 
that that seems to be really good is Lathless, the Dragon Queen, because whenever another non-token dragon enters the battlefield, you're creating a five-five red dragon token. So Lathless is a fairly affordable card. I think she's 250, 2250, something like that. And when these other large dragons are coming in, you're again getting another dragon. So the it feels like they are worth their cost in this deck. Yeah, definitely. I think the the dragons I think are that extra value engine. They're the I, you know, nobody's playing creatures, so what do we do? Right. And and we'll go through at the end here some other possible builds, but that isn't that is a risk. If if you have a couple of spell slingers or planeswalkers, you know, decks, what are you going to do? How do you win? Um, and the answer is by dragons. Dragons are big. They fly. And if somebody does put blockers out, well, you happen to have a lot of board removal to get rid of them. And the nice thing about something like Balefire is flying is hard to block. It's not trivial to block a flying dragon coming at you. And any sort of damage it does is just going to just synergize. It's it's great. And, and uh, you mentioned Sarkins and Ceiling. I had a couple of other cards here that synergize with, with dragons as enchantments. So Warstorm Surge is another one where five and a red enchantment. So whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So play a dragon, six damage to a creature that's a, you know, a one health. Bam, five damage to another creature. Bam, that can kind of chain. Suddenly, instead of doing to a single damage with Toroph on board, you're doing six damage to a one one. You have five damage. That five damage goes to another one one. That's four more damage. And you can basically almost clear a board in that alone or just smack somebody in the face with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that's part of what makes this deck fun. Yeah. Another one here that's um, only a 50 cent uh, rare is Arc Bond. It's an instant. One of the few instants in this deck. It's two and a red. You choose target creature. Whenever that creature is dealt damage this turn, it does that much damage to each other creature and each player. So this is, uh, you know, it's an instant. People are going to try to get you out of the game. You're not going to have a lot of creatures on board with this deck. So this is one where your little drag, your quote unquote little dragon blocks a one, one and bam, you're, you're nuking the board or blocks a three, three or a five, five, right? You're six, six taking on a five, five. Somebody thinks they're being clever playing a, a pump spell and whack you, you suddenly cleared the board. Right. And it also works really well when your creature is indestructible and their creature is indestructible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a scenario we can get into here in a bit. That the the accidental indestructible infinite combo that we may have uh, figured out. Right. Oh man. There was um, so kind of keep going down with some of the support cards. Obviously, your damage doublers and triplers, your rage reflection, Angras Marauders, really anything that says if a source you deal does damage, deal extra damage. Anything you can put in here for that's just going to add value because suddenly dealing four damage to each creature is eight damage, and that's going to be a win con, I think, in most situations with more than six or eight creatures on the board, which is very doable in Commander. Absolutely. Cool. So that pretty much covers most of the cards. I don't want to say most of the cards. You know, we talked maybe about 20 of the cards, but you kind of get the idea, right? The, the rest of the cards are very in a similar vein. Uh, they they kind of just keep going with that theme. There is some value in there, some artifacts, some ramp, um, some of your basic other cards that you tend to need to, to build a deck and make it stable. But I guess overall, how do you feel the deck was when uh, you got on the table just I'll say, quote unquote, out of the box. So straight out of the box, um, this deck performed very well. I, at first, it was kind of a surprise to to other players because I literally, I think the first day we played this, 
cards dropped on Friday. I was playing it on Monday. So, but it, it performed really well straight out of straight out of the box, so to speak. Um, I really, after the first two games, I didn't see anything that needed to change. So it, it's been a, it was really just a solid deck straight out the gate. Yeah. And that's, and you just hit on something that is another reason why I wanted to do this podcast. Cause I'm a firm believer in playing a deck, you know, three to five times before you tweak it, because one bad land, you know, you, you get mana screwed one way or the other. It, it It's not the deck's fault, so to speak. You, you just, you got a bad shuffle and that can happen easily twice in a row. I've seen it happen with my own decks twice in a row. So I'm a big fan of getting three to five decks before you start, start tinkering with it and get a good view of uh, several cards. Cause if you think about it, you're seeing what, maybe 20 cards a game, 20 to 30 cards a game, depending on how long the games go and, and the power level of your group. And that means to see all the cards in the deck, you need at least five games. So how do you know what's good? How are you trying to pull cards out without getting down on the deck? So I'm excited you had two games with it that first night and then kind of were able to play it several times since then. Right. And it's, you know, I've gotten, I think, eight games in now with the deck and I feel really comfortable playing it. And I'm starting to see the things that that can be tweaked and, and adjusted. So it, it's been a it, it's a pleasure to play this deck. So it's it's, you know, I, I've enjoyed it. Mono Red is a lot of fun. That's awesome. I, I I do have a mono red deck. I have a mono red, um, not Torralf, Tor Torgath deck. Torbrand. Tor um, Torbrand. Yes, <laughs> man. Yes, Torbrand deck. Um, yeah, I I love that deck. And and that is, and, and kind of interesting was you know hey both mono red they want to do the same thing and the answer is no my my Torbrand deck every card in there only deals damage to players and it only says each opponent or each player. Anything that says a single target or anything that says creature is almost taken out of that deck or never even put in because it's not what it wants to do. That's one of the reasons why I had all these cards laying around. But this is kind of the opposite of that. This is like, I don't want to do anything to players. I want the creatures to take the damage, which I think is just a fascinating way to look at a different uh, different aspect of the same color pie of magic. Right. And, you know, and that's, that's just part of what's really interesting about it. And then, you know, what was the, the other... The other big red commander that just popped up was Magda, who is utilizing dwarves and dragons, but in a completely different way than than Toroff is. Yeah, our buddy Pete has built that deck, and it's it's pretty good. He's gone off, and and I basically it's it's just a a threat every time he gets five treasures on board. Who knows what's coming out? And that Goldspan Dragon, man, that thing is a beast. But that's that's a different deck. We'll we'll keep that <laughs> one for. Maybe we'll build that. Maybe we'll just we'll get Pete on and see kind of how he built his deck. But so kind of sticking with with Toraf, one of the other areas I when I was thinking through how do we build this deck, there's kind of two other possibilities. The first one was targeted removal. So instead of doing these big massive board wipes, because they do cost a lot, right? Usually putting in four, five, six, twelve CMC into it, you're trying to get a lot of mana, and red doesn't really have that. Was can we use targeted removal or maybe instants or spells only, right? Don't bother with dragons. Just kind of do something that's going to just, you know, boom, three damage, boom, two damage, and then just start poking people. Um, I figured that was probably going to take way too many cards and just not enough value. And honestly, that's not how I like to play games. So one, that's why I didn't go that route. The other route was a kind of a create your own creatures deck. So I've seen this, this floating around a bit, which is to say if nobody else has creatures on the board, how do you win with Torath? And the answer is you make your own tokens, right? Maybe take a little bit of what Magda's doing with the dwarves and say, I'm going to just 
pump out a bunch of dwarves, a bunch of humans, a bunch of um, goblins. I'm going to do something where I can destroy my own creatures to deal damage to others. I didn't like that idea only because to me, it feels like playing solitaire. It's like, I'm basically playing my own creatures and killing my own creatures. And by doing my own game, I'm killing everybody else. It feels a lot less interactive with the rest of the board, but you know, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Is that kind of a place that you're interested in Russ? Is that something that you would like to try take the deck in that route? Maybe. I don't feel like it, it's, it would be much fun with this deck. Uh, part of what makes Toroff interesting to me is the fact that you're constantly interacting with the board. It, it's not insular. There are other colors, there are other pies that do a much better, <laughs> a much better job generating tokens and, you know, getting value out of those tokens. Uh, especially, you know, if you want to play that, mono black is maybe where you want to be. But definitely, I, I thought about it. I looked at the idea of goblins. Goblins are plentiful. It's pretty easy to create lots of goblins. You know, one advantage in that aspect might be your opponents aren't going to see you as big of a threat. You're over here. Oh, he's over there making a whole bunch of goblins. I have no idea what he's doing. And then you you throw out you know a large a large board wipe like Blasphemous Act, and you know you, you're spreading that damage out. And you could probably win a few games like that. But once people kind of catch on to what you're doing, a bunch of one one goblins are a whole lot easier to remove than you know two six six dragons. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be kind of the, the theme of this is now that you've had a few games under your belt, the next episode, which we're planning to release hopefully two a month. So one week, one episode we build, one episode you tinker, and we kind of take that path down. I'd be very interested at that point to see, was it worth swapping out some of these cards, the cards that you said I had it in my hand a few times, never really got to play it. Would it have been better for a lower CMC card? Some that maybe did create blockers for you. Do you have to protect Toralf more? Is it hard to protect him? Is it hard to keep him on the board? You know, getting into those nuances of, hey, I had a deck. I played it. It was, it was, you know, this one pretty good to start with. Other decks are going to be, wow, this really sucked on day one. Uh, you know, can you make it better? How do you get it more efficient? How do you get it tuned up? What came out? Why did those cards come out? Why did you put other cards in? I know the command zone kind of does the pre-cons, but this is really with, hey, get what's in your box, get something on the board as quickly as possible, on the table rather, and then you can tweak it. And I, I think that's going to be really exciting to kind of see where you can take this deck going forward. And Honestly, are you going to overtune it? Because that is something I've done before. I know you've done that too, where it's like, oh, crap, this this deck is almost too powerful. And it it went above that six, seven power level that, you know, the group likes to keep it at. And you may be into getting this eight nines, you know, at, I'm excited to see where you take it. I'm just, you know, really giddy about it. <laughs> well, you gave me a good place to start. So I've I've definitely got some cards that I've swapped in, a few that I've I've moved out, uh, one I swapped out and put back. So um, so there's definitely a lot to talk about. Awesome. Well, if you guys like this, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We're gonna try to do a few of these, get some feedback in, and we'll have a Twitter handle. We'll get some of that into the show notes. Um, definitely, we'll have the link. Um, Russ and I both use Deckbox to manage our decks. I just find that's the easiest way to to build decks as opposed to managing an inventory. So we both use that. So I'll drop the deck box link in there. It's it's not the most accurate pricing wise, but it, it does have a list of all the cards, tells you what's in it. You can sort it, gives you some mana curves, some very, some very cool tools that I, I just enjoy and it works with how my brain works. So yeah, any uh, last minute thoughts for us? Nope, but uh, definitely get some cards on the table. Awesome. Yep, get some cards on the table and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>